Welcome to Not Another Baptist Podcast, a podcast exploring church revitalization, church planting, and other Southern Baptist goodies for your ear holes. And today, folks, y'all are in for a treat. But let's get the formalities out of the way. I'm Matt Hensley, the pastor of Mayhill Baptist, and I'm joined by Kyle Bierman of First Baptist in Alamogordo. We're both pastoring fantastic churches in southern New Mexico, wading through the waters of church revitalization and trying not to drown. We are grateful that you joined us today as we share a little bit about what we're learning from all of our successes, our failures, and that list is long. And we are always hopeful that you will leave here encouraged. That's right. But today we have very good news because that, that is that you're not just stuck with us. Amen. You're not, you don't just have to listen to, to Matt and I talk about what we don't know. Today we're joined by a very, very special guest. That is Dr. Ken Hemphill. Absolutely. It is an honor to welcome Dr. Hemphill, which he asked us to call Ken, and I feel uh, I, dirty yeah, when I, I say that, but <laughs> welcome to the podcast, Ken, especially as an alumnus of Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. Uh, but enough of all of that. Dr. Hemphill or Ken, introduce yourself. Tell us a little bit about yourself and what's been happening in your life out there on the eastern edge of the country uh, there in the Carolinas. Well, it's a treat to be with you guys and uh, get to share a little bit on your program. I am uh, now in living in South Carolina. I've been working at North Greenville University since I left the executive committee. And of course, I spent 10 years with the executive committee doing uh, basically church growth revitalization project called EKG, Empowering Kingdom Growth. And I came to uh, North Greenville as their first or founding director of the Center for Church Planning and Revitalization, which I think are two essential components of uh, what what has to be done to reach our nation and beyond. So I'm, I'm just delighted to be with you guys today. We're grateful. And there it is, proof Dr. Hemphill is alive and well, and I certainly believe that his reputation will precede him today as this brother in Christ is an expert on church revitalization. And sometimes that's learning through your mistakes. Sometimes that is learning through your successes. Uh, But Dr. Hemphill, before we dive in, I have two questions for you that are of eternal significance. Are you ready? I'm ready. Do you still paint, and do you still have colorful tree frogs hanging in your house? I I do have the tree frogs that I painted, but I have not. I thought I would have time when I moved down here to paint, but I have not had out the brushes and the watercolors in, in, I'm afraid, about 10 years. So I've got to get back to it. You guys have convicted me. <laughs> but I told you it was of internal <laughs> significance. Right. I I asked uh, Gary and, and Tammy Ledbetter. I don't know if you might remember that that name. I if, do. If there I was, do remember them well. If if there was maybe anything about Dr. Hemphill that we needed to know, and and uh, <laughs> he he said uh, a couple of things, and one was just how much joy you had in sharing and serving with the local. Uh, church, and then also he shared about the painting and the uh, tree frog. So I just had to know. I was going to share this information with them that you are not, I, I will tell them, they'll be disappointed to know that you're not painting, but that you are committing right here. We have it on record that you are going to get back after the painting. It's yes. on record, so and, I am I'm now committed to the task. Okay. And, and our half a dozen listeners will hold you to that, Dr. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so So you said you're directing... Um, 
church planning and church revitalization at, at North Greenville. So, so Matt and I are both in churches that, at least I can speak for ours, that I think a lot of people would look and say, kind of their heyday has passed. And obviously I don't believe that or else I wouldn't have uprooted my family Absolutely. and moved to Alamogordo to, to pastor the church. Uh, so, so talk to us a little bit about what you see happening in, in church planning and then in church revitalization as well. Well, I, th- I think you've got to continue to plant churches because uh, population shifts, uh, things of that nature change. And of course, style of churches. You know, I'm, I'm uh, one of those that believe we need all kinds of churches. We need multi-ethnic, multi-generational and multi-strategic kinds of churches. And so I'm, I'm not for just one style of church. I'm, I'm well known for Sunday school emphasis, but you know, I'm, I, and I just kind of pull for people that want to see the community reach for Christ and the kingdom grow. And this is a critical issue, and, and I'm glad you guys have this podcast because uh, different estimates indicate that somewhere between 80 and 88 percent of our churches are plateaued or declining. So I used to say to our students, you probably are going to have the privilege someday of pastoring a plateaued or declining church because even the large church will occasionally hit those periods where it plateaus and may even decline for a period of time. So this is not a phenomena of a little country church. It's not a phenomena of a little uh, urban church. It's a phenomena of almost any church will hit these times. And so I think it's critical for us to understand kind of the principles of how we do that. Now, I know you guys have shared with me that you've uh, started with prayer, and that's that's a critical key because uh, all of church growth is supernatural by definition. What, what's interesting, you know, when Jesus founded the church, he said, upon this rock, I will build my church. He didn't say you will. He said, I will. Paul in 1 Corinthians 3 said, oh, I planted, Apollos watered, but God was giving the increase. So you had this, uh, this understanding of church growth that sometimes we feel like it's something we're doing for God. But the truth of the matter is, there's nothing that we're trying to do. It's what God wants to do through us. So obviously the first role in this is is prayer for supernatural awakening. Uh, so I, I, I don't ever compromise on that matter. So then you talk about loving the existing flock because that's your core group. And then, of course, getting you know, talking about studying the community. I would kind of add to that. You, you don't want to just study it. You know, I get a lot of guys, they, they want to, go down to the county seat and find out how many people live there, what's the average income, etc. Go out, knock on doors, walk around, go to ball games, you know, find out where people hang out, if they're at a coffee shop or the feed store, it doesn't matter. <laughs> find them and find the community that way. And then, of course, you talked about simplifying. Well, let me, first of all, if, if I might, kind of make a case for the issue of revitalization. First of all, the the health of kingdom expansion, you know, what I was doing for Southern Baptist for these years was all called EKG, the heartbeat of God. And, of course, the issue is really not church growth. It's kingdom expansion. We mm-hmm. want God's yeah. kingdom to be established and be advanced. So, so, but there is a connection between local church health and kingdom expansion. If you look at the book of Acts, the kingdom was expanded as they planted and grew local churches. Secondly, is the massive number of plateaued or declining churches. And when you think about the wealth of financial resources, that is land, buildings, and gifted people that are already there. 
You know, I think most people honestly want their church to live and to grow. So we still need to figure out a way how to help them. So let me give you the, the three core convictions that I work with. Number one, church growth is supernatural. Number two, following from that, revitalization is more spiritual than mechanical. Now, a lot of people think, okay, I need a new evangelism program, or I, I've been running Sunday school, I need to go to cells, or I've been uh, singing out of the hymn book, I need to sing off the wall, you know, PowerPoint. Uh, most of us sing out of tune, so it doesn't matter whether it's on the wall <laughs> or in the hymn book. So it's more of a spiritual issue than it is a mechanical. So a lot of the books I read, and I'm teaching a D-Men up here in a couple of weeks on church revitalization, so many of them get into mechanics too quickly. Now, we, we'll talk about mechanics later. Now, the third principle that you're not going to like, revitalization is like remodeling a house. That means it takes longer than you ever expected. (laughs) So you're talking about three to four years, I think, most of the time. It costs more than you could have ever believed. And I don't mean just money. I mean the emotional cost of that. And it's messier than you imagine. You know, when you start remodeling and you start redoing this, you find out there's something up there that needed to be redone before I could do that. So that's kind of where I start. That that's That's the basis of everything. Now, Following that basis is this. Nothing changes anybody's heart and mind but the Word of God applied by the Spirit of God. So I focus on the pulpit and the small group. So we try to provide some biblical materials that help churches to deal with this, try to help pastors. I I tell every pastor, if you haven't done it, you need to preach through the book of Acts. You need to, you know, the, the big issue is not what does a pastor want the church to look like, It's not what do the people or the deacons or the elders. It's what does God want the church to look like. So when we can get a biblical image of the church, then we've got a chance of making a transformation. So here's the three steps. Step number one, changing the heart is necessary for the ignition of revitalization. Mm -hmm. There's got to be some point where there is a heart change where people say, Pastor, what is it going to take for us to live? When I went to First Baptist Church in Norfolk, uh, it is a big church now, running 380 in, in Sunday school, a little more than that in worship. But it had actually been in decline for about five years. They, they were not aware of that. Many churches don't know they're declining because they don't keep good records. And so it had been in decline for about uh, five years. Uh, we were having a deacon's retreat. Uh, they had already scheduled it before I came, and so they gave me the prime time about 11 o'clock at night before everybody was ready to go to bed. <laughs> and I had taken the last 10, 15 years of our records, Sunday school attendance, Sunday school enrollment, or small group, if you prefer, baptisms, baptisms by age. And I just put these up in charts, and when I did, people began to see that these lines were just dropping continuously. And literally, it broke their hearts. Mm -hmm. I mean, before the the time was out, the deacons were saying, Pastor, we had no idea. We didn't know. What are we going to have to do? And so literally that that evening turned into a prayer meeting that went to 3 or 4 in the morning. These guys just on their knees crying out to God, what's it going to take? See, that heart is where the ignition occurs. Then secondly... 
your heart change creates a possibility to change your thinking. Now, you, you can have a an emotional heart change. People have had that in revival experiences, and they go to the altar, and they weep buckets of tears and say, you know, I'm going to start having devotional tomorrow, and I'm just going to do it the rest of my life. Well, when the emotion passes about two weeks later, they're back in the same routine. Yeah. So what has to occur in a church is that that ignition has to then be followed with the changing of your thinking. We've got to change our thinking. Here's, here's the key issue. Many people believe that the ship of Zion is the love boat, and it's designed to keep me happy until Jesus comes. So as long as my pilot, i.e. pastor, doesn't get us into rough waters, and as long as nobody sits in my deck chair, because I've been sitting in that deck chair for months, and as long as the staff keeps us well-fed, we're happy. Well, the truth of the matter is, ship of Zion is a hospital ship, and there are not any deck chairs on hospital ships. You know, and the reality is what I try to draw a picture for a lot of laymen is that imagine yourself on, on a luxury liner or on a ship and off the bow is the Titanic going down. And there are people literally scattered all over the water, some clinging to life rafts. All of them are going to die soon if we don't do something. So we're standing on the uh, on the deck and. My wife and I are there, and we kind of look at our watch, and we look at this and say, what a mess. Is not the world in the awful mess out here? It's so nasty. Uh, Oh, by the way, it's time for us to have lunch with the captain tonight. Now, we think we're on a love boat, but we're on a hospital ship. How ridiculous would it be for a hospital ship to be beside a sinking Titanic and not bring anyone on board? That's kind of where many of our churches are that our community is wasting away in this uh, pollution of sin and guilt, despair, and we've got the only answer, that is Jesus. And yet we are content to go inside and evaluate the sermon and whether the choir was good this morning or not. So we got to change the thinking. Thirdly, once the thinking is changed, then you can actually begin to alter behavior. And when I mean that, I mean... Things like, what do we do to reach our community? How do we design a strategy intentional doing that? What do we need to do to discipleship our church and our children? How do we develop fellowship? So that's when I tell people, this is the time that you can actually begin the process of making those changes that required for for um, revitalization. Great. You know, we we live actually. Kyle and I, um, though though we're uh, about as close as you can get between towns, we're very far from one another. It's about thirty-five to forty miles between us, and right. he he is close to the devil down here in the <laughs> desert, and I'm up close to God at the top of the mountain. And our towns are are almost diametrically. Uh, you know, opposed to each other. He's he's in the uh, booming metropolis of uh, you know forty thousand folks or whatever. I'm where we've got about fifty-seven uh, people in our population, and uh, so so we're in the same 
boat, if you will, of church revitalizing, uh, but our, our context couldn't be uh, more different. And so that's why it's important for us to find what are these core realities. And, and one of the main, main ones that you touched on is just the need that we have the only hope that there is in, in the world. And we, we're surrounded, yeah, in, in our case, uh, I'm not sure what the statistics are where, where you're at, but in our case, we're surrounded by 90 to 95 percent lostness. I mean, really can't get much worse than that. And what, I, what I've been doing with my folks to, to hopefully see, I can't change their heart. And, and it's the Spirit's job to, to change their heart. But what I try and uh, help along these lines is as they're driving home from church, just about every couple of weeks or so, I'll remind them that as they drive, look to the left and look to the right and count every 10 houses that they pass and realize that nine of them were lost. You know, obviously we don't know who necessarily lives there, but as a, you know, a, a metaphor, as a example, that this is what they are seeing as they drive, that these nine people are lost and about to spend an eternity in hell if they don't hear this message of hope, this message of right. the gospel. And, uh, and so many of them are, are catching on to that and realizing that, right. yes, in my mouth, I am either keeping it closed or I'm opening a message that truly is life or death, that they will either spend an eternity in hell or an eternity in heaven based on this message, the message that I'm either going to keep to myself or I'm going to give it to everybody uh, that I come across. And, and in our case here, the, the likelihood of passing somebody that is saved mm. is only 10%. Yeah. And so everybody right. that we're in line with at the grocery store waiting for coffee, and in our case, we've got Beyond, or, or not, uh, what's the name of it? Uh, Plateau Espresso. Plateau Espresso. Better than Starbucks. That's right. Much better <laughs> than Starbucks. Good to me. But, but everybody that you're, you're around there, 90% that you're surrounded by is going to an eternity in hell if they don't hear this this message that we have and uh, and so that's the that's the idea that uh, you know for for us really getting that into our people to see the lostness and when they realize that and come to grips with you know in some sense forget whether this church is going to be you know 150 people or whether it's going to be 10 but we are surrounded by hundreds and thousands of people that are going to hell and uh, and so well, that's know, about building our churches I'm sorry, go ahead. I was going to say less about building this giant church. We need to be out and telling them how they can be saved and, and transform that 90% down to 80% and then 70 and yeah, 60 and see God do a work here. Kyle, or, or you were going to say something there. I'm sorry. Well, I was just going to say the size of a church is not the determination of, of how effective it is. Many of our smaller churches across Southern Baptist Convention actually have a better baptismal ratio than the much larger ones. So, you know, I affirm, uh, in fact, my, my believe this or not, my best church growth story was the first church I ever pastored. It was a little church in Wolf Creek, Kentucky. I was in seminary in Louisville. And I think the first Sunday we had about 30, 32 people there. And over the next 18 months before I graduated, we baptized over 50 people. That's wow. pretty good baptismal ratio. Yeah. And see, that's a great church. It's not the size that's the issue. It's kind of the heart that's the issue. So I want to affirm for a lot of your pastors out there and people who are listening that, you know, you don't need to be embarrassed about a size, you know, because not every church can be a mega church. It's pretty hard to grow a mega church in the desert. Yeah, you know, right. uh, <laughs> you, you, you got to have a population base. And that's not our goal anyway. Our goal is to advance God's kingdom by his power and for his glory. Yeah. So that, that's the big deal. Well, for, for me, I, 
you know, you, you watch these uh, superstar athletes where they go out on top. And uh, I, I had joked with my, uh, my mentor, a friend of mine, uh, when uh, we, you know, when I came, they were running about 30 or, or 40 on a Sunday. And uh, for um, July 4th, we did a big uh, push. We shared, uh, you know, you know, invites. We put it on the, uh, you know, the advertising, all of that kind of stuff, and really made a big push for this. And uh, we had 168 uh, come to worship, and I decided I was going to resign on the spot. Like I'm, I'm going out on <laughs> top. We, we went from 30 to 168. I can't. I'm like, done. That's like winning the World Series <laughs> yeah. and walking away, right? Yeah, hey, I was. I'm, yeah, I'm going out on top. Cal, take us. Um, well, Dr. Hempel, we have just a just a few minutes left, so we want to get to uh, obviously some big news that's that's come up in your life recently and in the life of our denomination, and that is that that in the June SBC meeting in Dallas, you're going to be nominated as, as a candidate, or you're, you are a candidate for president. So um, tell us just a little bit about your heart for, for the SBC and, uh, and, and how you came well, to, the, to the decision to accept yeah. that, that nomination. I'll be glad to do that. I, I really struggle with it. I've never run for office in anything, even in elementary school. And when I was approached by a number of different people, and I probably talked to 15, 20 of my friends and mentors, uh, almost with one voice, they said, we really need for you to do this. And, and part of the issue is that my heart, I, I love Southern Baptist Convention. That's my tribe. I, I don't have any other tribe. This is my family. My great-granddaddy was a church planner in Washington State. My dad pastored 56 years in North Carolina and small to uh, mid-sized churches, and uh, I just grew up with this in my blood, and I, I love the way we cooperate. I love the diversity of our convention that we've got. We've got Hispanic, we've got black, we've got white, we've got small church, large church, rural church, city church. It, it takes that kind of diversity, and so my heart has to do with revitalization. I, I, I hate to tell you that our baptisms last year at the lowest level we've had since 1947. Wow. 1947. Our attendance from 2010 to 2016 dropped from 6.1 million to 5.2, almost a million wow. people during that period of time. Hmm. And, uh, you know, so we're, we're looking at the fact that we, as a denomination, we are plateaued and declining. And so, I, I just thought that with the the privilege that God has given me to work at a little rural country church, a kind of a city county seat church, a church in in Norfolk that would have been that grew into a mega church, and then North American Mission Board and Lifeway and Executive Committee and Southwestern Seminary that that I have a kind of an overview of the convention that very few people did, and I just felt like it was a part of my responsibility to say I'm willing. If this is what the Lord wants and our Southern Baptist people. So I tell people I'm not running for office. I have, have never had a desire to do that, but I'm willing to serve because I think what we're dealing with is too critical for us not to step to the plate. And that's a lost and dying world. And we're becoming more secular by the day. We see it and we're the salt and we're the light. And if we don't get this salt out of the salt shaker, salt doesn't do you any good as long as it's in the shaker on the table. You got to get it out, put it on the plate, and so that's that's kind of my passion. That's my my desire. I want to reaffirm uh, things like our 
uh, a connectedness, I, I believe, and association, state, national conventions, working together with local churches. I think together we can do so much more than we can do apart. I, I think there are ways that we can re- revitalize those relationships. And first of all, it's a it's a matter of trust that we really trust each other to be in this same thing together for the kingdom of God. And so that that's kind of what burdened me to do it. And uh, so, you know, I'm going to try to share through articles and things like this, your podcast and whatever else God gives me an opportunity, just kind of what God laid on my heart and how we can revitalize an entire denomination. And the answer is through revitalizing local churches. I, I certainly agree with that and and as you said we we truly are better together and and that's what you know i i can in this case we're we're an example of that is is learning from uh, somebody that's been in the uh, convention for years and churches for years and and from the academic level to the local church level and all points in between and and i can learn uh, from this knucklehead that's down in the desert, and he can learn from from me up in the mountain. And uh, yeah. sometimes he doesn't learn much from me. It's it's a one way street there. Uh, but but when when we work together, I, I mean, one that just shows that we're we're on the same you know team together. We have the same goal. You know, when when the Dallas Cowboys, I'm I'm not much of a football fan anymore, but when when they are on the same page, they have a much better shot at you know, winning and and making it to the playoffs. I, well, I don't know if that's ever going to happen again but uh you know when we're on the same page and when we're on the same team with the same goal and and realizing that that goal is to get the good news of the gospel out to as many ears as we can possibly get it we have that better chance at success and so we're grateful that you uh, joined us uh one of the things we're going to do with this episode those that like it and share it uh, will have an entry into a copy of Dr. Ken's uh, new book slash uh, Bible study called Unlimited. And uh, we'll share a little information in the show notes about how you can get a copy of that yourself. But thank you so much for joining us today. We know that there are a billion other things that you could be doing right now, but you took the time to listen to this podcast. We hope it was helpful. We hope that it was encouraging. I know in my case, it was encouraging and convicting, and it brought you a little bit of a shot in the arm as you go through the rest of this weekend. We ask that you visit us online at www.notanotherbaptistpodcast.com. Subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to them, like iTunes or Google Play, and visit us on Facebook at Not Another Baptist Podcast or on Twitter at NAB underscore podcast. Until next time, may your coffee be as black as night and as bold as a god you declare. Thank you so much, Dr. Hemphill, for yes. joining us. We look forward to hearing from you soon. Thank you, Nellie.